welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas, and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Hello, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. My name is Oliver Banks, and I'm delighted and proud to be your host. I'm a retail transformation specialist that helps retailers to define their ideal operating model and overcome the challenges on the road to successful retail change. Thank you for tuning in. This one is episode 171, number 171. Now, let's be honest. We all know that the customer is king or queen. And every retail company is customer-centric. Arguably, every company is customer-centric. Maybe even (gasps) customer-obsessed. Gasp. Wow. And in our modern-day world, we are full of data about who our customers are. Perhaps we could say 56% of our customers identify as female. 27% are between the ages of 20 to 29. I know that the average order or average basket is £85 or dollars or euros or whatever. I know that a customer's number one favourite product is a particular skew. Now, I'm not saying these are wrong. They're factually true, I'm sure. But they're not necessarily that helpful. It's not going to guide you in terms of how you can change and transform to propel you towards future success. So today, I'm delighted to be speaking to a guest who can help us to understand our customers and, in turn, understand how to be relevant to them and win new customers. And actually, our guest today has been named as one of the top 10 digital transformation influencers by companies like IDG and Enterprise Management 360. He's the author of Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance. And he is Howard Tierski. Now, for the past 25 years... Howard has been helping leaders at some of the world's biggest brands and customer-facing businesses to navigate digital transformation. He's helped businesses grow revenue or expand their channels or create seamless customer journeys that really resonate with the always-on, hyper-connected digital customer. He's the president and founder of From, the Digital Transformation Agency, and you're about to hear a fantastic conversation. The show notes for today's episode are going to be over at obandco.uk slash 171, where you can find out more about Howard, dive deeper into the topics that we're talking about today, find more episodes to listen to, and sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing. More about that later. But without further ado, here is Howard Tierski serving up plenty of golden nuggets for you. Howard Tierski, a very warm welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. We're going to be talking all about, well, your book, actually, Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance, which is desperately needed for a number of retailers, I'm sure. But we're going to be diving into that. Huge congratulations, obviously, on the book. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the book just to kick off? Uh, Sure, absolutely. You know, I've had an amazing opportunity over the last 20 or so years to work with dozens and dozens of large enterprises, including many retailers, 
on digital transformation, a term that we weren't necessarily using for that entire multi-decade period, but which essentially describes the work that uh, I've had the opportunity to be involved in. And I've seen, well, frankly, I've seen a lot of really amazing, successful uh, transformations. And I've seen some that really just crashed and burned as well, to be perfectly blunt. And uh, so uh, having had the opportunity to, to observe so many case studies, if you will, and be a part of them, over the years, I've developed a kind of a mindset and approach about what I think works when companies seek to transform to most successfully align with the needs of today's customers. And so the book was an opportunity for me to take 20 plus years of, of learning and write down, uh, you know, I would never say there's only one way to be successful at anything, but this is, there are definitely ways to be unsuccessful. I've learned that. <laughs> and this is, uh, this is a path that I know works. And I've now used repeatedly a five-step approach to large-scale, broad enterprise digital transformation. And so that's uh, that's what the book is. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure we've all discovered some definite ways that don't work. But it's, yeah, it's great that you can share, share the knowledge. And yeah, we've all seen the, the, the pros and cons of transformation across well, a whole number of different categories, but obviously in our own worlds as well. So I'm really excited to be diving into this. Now, I know a key part of your framework is around sort of avatars and ideal customer profiles. Help me understand a bit more about what we're talking about just to get us all onto the same page. Sure. Well, the first step in, I think, any successful transformation is to make sure that you really understand your customer. I think that's got to be the heart of everything. And that's not just as a matter of, um, you know, like uh, moral, the customer is important, we should care about them. But even from a purely hard-nosed business perspective, the reality is... uh, what makes a business successful? Bringing in more money, revenue, and uh, doing it at the highest possible profitability, basically. And where does all that money come from? The customer. And you know what has a huge impact on what our cost of sales is going to be, what pricing and we're going to be able to accomplish, or how much we need to discount, or even what our cost to serve that customer is after they've made a purchase. Also, very much to do with customer behavior. So, so much of the success of any business has to do with how successfully they're able to drive behavior of their customers. And so, you know, if you're going to transform, which so many companies need to do, I mean, the truth is. Transformation is just a fancy word for change. Yes. So you could change a business in ways that make it much worse. I mean, it's not automatically the case that just because you make a change, that change will be for the better. You could invest millions and millions and discover that your customers, you know, are even less interested in giving you their money. Yes. So <laughs> getting it right and understanding what is the transformation that's really going to align with the customer behaviors, generate more sales, generate more referrals, generate more upsells, larger share of wallet, greater customer satisfaction, lower cost to serve the customer. I mean, these are the kinds of metrics that almost any business is interested in. So I think that's the first step. And so you asked about avatars. I think uh, an avatar or a persona is uh, a way of communicating sort of essential qualities Mm. of each of the key different customer segments that you're serving as a business. And, you know, I think you want to, before that, conduct rich customer research to make sure you really understand how have your customers changed? What are their needs, their hopes, their dreams, their fears? What are their challenges when they try to solve whatever problem you're solving for them? You know, whether you're a plumber or a bakery or a shoe store, there are certain needs. Customers don't go to a shoe store just to hang out, generally speaking. They go because there's some need they're looking to fulfill. Mm. For some people, it's that their kids need cleats because they've just joined the soccer league. 
For some people, it's because they have a big fancy party to go to and want to look awesome. For some people, it's that they have time to kill and they love shoes and they just want to see what new shoes are new. But, and yeah. the, but those are very different reasons yes. to go to a shoe store. And they may represent you know different segments. And so first of all, just understanding what are all the reasons your customers are here. And then usually you get a very wide range of things. Different customers have different ages and different levels of income and they have different backgrounds and they have different interests and they're there for different reasons. And that could be, uh, you know, it's like snowflakes, you know, every single snowflake in the world is unique, but also, you know, a lot of them are kind of similar to each yep. other. So the idea really is to take all that information that you gather and then say, okay, how can we bucket this into some sort of typical types of customers? And then even that may be a lot of data. You might say, okay, for this type of customer, for the parent shopping for shoes for their kids, there's a wide range of different variables that may be at play. And that might wind up being a hundred slides, just about that customer segment. And for somebody that hundred slides is very useful because they're really deep diving into it and they're doing very detailed work around that segment, but it's going to be hard to get your entire organization to, to read hundreds and hundreds of slides. Yeah. And so, or, or a detailed report. So the purpose of avatars or personas is to create something that's highly digestible to say, you know, there's a lot one could say about this mom buying shoes for her kids shoe buyer, but let's create a, a character, a persona. Let's call her Sally. And let's say she has two kids, ages five and 11. And let's say that this is her level of income. And this is really what brings her to the store. And this is what's important to her. Mm. And it may be very different from, you know, somebody who's 60, 60 years old, very affluent, goes to fancy parties and expects a different level of service and is looking for a different type of product, et cetera. And so the, the persona of the avatar is just a summary, basically, sorry, uh, just a summary, just a high level communications tool that people can absorb quickly. Yeah. So let me ask, I guess we've got, as we segment our customers, quite a range of different ways we could do this at the broadest sense or the very broadest sense, we could just say, a customer, I love my customer. The customer is the center of my universe, so to speak, as you, as you suggested earlier on. Slightly more refined, you could say, I've got millennial customers. Woohoo. I've got Gen Z. Wow. Amazing. And then all the way down the other end, just as you say, you, you give your, your avatar a, a detailed persona named Sally. Da, 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 da. What's, what's the difference between where you draw the line? Because Sometimes people may not want to go down to it is an exact persona named someone. What's the advantage of going to that level of detail? The level of detail of the persona, you mean? Yes, going right down yeah. and really defining their um, whole life and naming them, etc. The advantage is people can remember it. If you've ever read a McKinsey report, you know, that had 27 charts and graphs and lots of statistics in it, after you're finished, you know, what did you walk away with? What did you remember? Maybe a lot, but for most people, not so much. And to, to operate effectively as a, say, customer-centric company, there's a lot of different types of people yeah. who can benefit from the insights into your customers that you gain through research. That includes people developing products, people thinking about, uh, meaning by products in that context, I mean things like your website, your mobile app, things like that, but also people who are doing merchandising, also people who are doing marketing, also people who are in the call center providing customer service, people on the on the shop floor who are interacting with customers every day. If we have some insights to say, hey, you know, we need to bear in mind that people in this category who are buying shoes have some different needs from that category, that kind of insight is valuable to a lot of people in your organization. So you want to share the, that, that information. 
and you want to do it though, if, if you, if you just got everybody who works in your short, in your stores on a zoom call and went through 60 slides full of line charts and bar graphs, <laughs> you know, you may find that you didn't have much of an impact at all. Yeah. Getting That's that right. character allows people to engage with it. And just as you were saying, allows people to remember it. Not everyone is data centric to take in that sort of detailed hundred slide report, et cetera. That's right. Yeah. Think of rich characters. You know, if I said, tell me about Han Solo, what does he like? What do you, what does he care about? What matters to him? You know, mm. is he pretty patient or is he a pretty impatient guy? You know, does he, is he wealthy or does he not have money? How would he go about buying shoes? You could start to kind of imagine what Han Solo would be like coming into your store, looking to buy shoes. Very yep. different from Princess Leia. Right. Yep. So we can we can internalize a whole universe of of a combination of characteristics of personality when we put them into characters. And that's the big benefit of it. The mm. downside of it is it's kind of a generalization. So, of course, not every mother who comes in to buy stores for her children is going to behave in exactly the same way. And this is where more detailed communication tools for people who want to consume them are are useful. The persona or the avatar is not the only way that we want to provide insight into the, the user research into the customer. It's the top level way. It's the high level. It's the quick, it's the baseball card where you can just look at the picture, look at a few stats and get the general idea. And then for people who have reason to want to dive more deeply into it, you want to use other tools. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. So as we're creating this avatar, this persona, this character, how much of it is led purely by data versus how much of it, frankly, we use a bit of gut instinct and a bit of creativity. Maybe it's based on someone that someone in the team knows or has met or a real customer. Where, where, where do you yeah. draw the line? Is it is it purely factual and you just find a name at the end? I think uh, it's a great question. And what I would say is it needs to be rooted in facts and data. Mm. One of the biggest risks of any kind of product development is that, you know, you build the product for yourself or you build <laughs> the product for your grandmother or you build the product for the CEO as yeah. a customer. You want the CEO to be happy, but if he's the only customer, you know, you're probably not, he is not going to be long in his job, right? <laughs> so um, we need to make sure that we're not over-indexing on some colorful individual person that we know and just saying, oh, it's just like this person. So the, the, the basic foundation, we need to say, look, we want to create this segment and it's focused on moms buying shoes for their kids. And here's what we know about them. There's a certain typical range of income, a certain typical age range we're talking about. From the research that we've done, they tend to have certain concerns, not have other concerns. Now, if someone raised their hand and said, wait a minute, I have a friend who's a mom who doesn't look like that at all. Maybe we should base it on her. I would say no, because of course that could simply be an outlier. Yes. You want to base it on what represents the majority of that particular type of customer. Now, having said that, once you've decided that, that's sort of the scientific process. Say, okay, so our persona needs to have these core characteristics. There are maybe usually six, seven, eight dimensions. It's going to be in this age range. It's going to be in this income range. It's going to be, and there, there may be different dimensions that are important for shoe size, for example. An important dimension might be how big is the kid's feet? You know, I have a son who has very wide feet. He's flat-footed. He needs arch supports. All of a sudden, I might be in a different category. Uh, that's yes. somebody who needs specialized shoes for my son, right? But in any case, what are the dimensions that matter 
for that, by dimensions, I just mean characteristics, right? Uh, for that particular segment that you're looking at. And once you've figured all that out, okay, it's people with these characteristics and not people with other characteristics. If your son has orthopedic arches, he's not in this segment, right? That's different group. Yep. Once you've got all that figured out, then you say, okay, now how do we bring it to life? And this is where we need some creativity. But it's just that it has to be rooted. We can't be so creative that the next thing you know, we have veered away from what the data is telling us. But what <laughs> yes. the goal with the creativity is rather to say, well, this is what the data is telling us, but now how do we bring someone to life? And then if you know somebody that is like that combination of criteria, then great, leverage that. Or, you know, you may just have a few, it's, kind, it's nice to give people some unique personal characteristics, like, you know, maybe she... Her, she loves, you know, uh, bowling or whatever, you know. But, so it's nice to give people a few personal characteristics mm. so they just don't seem dry, right? And so that's where you can have some fun. That's where you can add a few extra details. Just bear in mind, though, that in the end, the avatar is a tool to communicate what is essentially a set of data points. Yes. And so don't stray from that because you're getting creative. Use the creativity <laughs> to make sure that the person who hears about this character kind of goes, oh, I got it. And that character kind of has these main characteristics. They're concerned about the cost. They don't have that much money, but they want to make sure their kid has the right shoes and, you know, blah, 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 whatever it is. And great. As long as they get that, the thing that represents the bulk of the characteristics for that particular segment, then you've accomplished it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let's say we're looking for our avatar, Sally. How important is it to actually find and talk to and hear from a real person that does match Sally? Well, I think that the basis of segmentation has to come from customer research, which usually means talking to a bunch of people. Mm. Now, you know, you may never talk to somebody who's exactly like Sally because Sally is kind of a composite of things that you learn from talking to a whole bunch of different people. So I would say on the one end, it's extremely important to have talked to people in that segment to understand the diversity and the patterns of key characteristics it's not important to have found one person who literally matches the composite characteristics of Sally. That's fine for that to be a fictional character, get a photo from, you know, Shutterstock or someplace yep. <laughs> like that. And, and, that's, and that's perfectly fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we go through this whole process. We use lots of data. We use a little bit of creativity towards the end of the process to build up our avatar. Then what? How do I take this avatar and perhaps decide I should do in terms of a transformation strategy or in terms of building a customer experience? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. I would say, first of all, you want to communicate the avatar. And one of the things that we like to do, personas usually can be characterized as like a poster. They'll have a photo. They'll have some key data points. There might be a couple of like paragraphs of copy. That's the, you know, you should be able to read the whole thing in under three minutes. In my opinion. Yep. And so what we'll often do is we'll plot, we'll print those at a place like FedEx or whatever, where there's one of those big plotters, maybe three feet by four feet. You can get them mounted on foam core or cardboard or something like that, and then put them up around the office. If there's a product development area, there's a marketing area, call center. These are good places to put these, make them look pretty, you know, have a graphic designer, make them look nice, put a little background behind it or what have you, and then put them up in a variety of places. And you'll be amazed how people like, what is that? Oh, those are our customers. Oh, really? You know, people usually will look at them and check them out. And that in and of itself is a great way to just start to get people thinking about these are the different customer segments. So that's the first thing. That, that's so important because so often, again, you hinted at this earlier, we're obsessed about customers. But other than perhaps 
seeing some data metrics of footfall, perhaps, or sales numbers, or, you know, Google Analytics traffic volumes, etc. There's not often much detail behind those customers. And if you can just paint this picture to everyone in the business or even specific teams within the business, right out of the executive, you get so much more visualization, I guess, of who you are serving. Yes, that's absolutely right. And you mentioned the statistics that you might look at, whether that's, uh, you know, store traffic or calls to the call center or total sales, things like that. It's great to start segmenting those kind of reports by these personas, by these yes. segments, because it's helpful to know that 82% of our customers are this segment and well, probably not that many, but whatever it is, 50% <laughs> are this, 30% are this. It may turn out that there's a segment that's only 2% of your customers, but it's 25% of your revenue. Yes. That's very important to know. Um, so looking at, and, and then I think another important metric to look at is customer satisfaction. How interesting mm. if you start to segment and look at these different personas and say, this persona loves us. We do a great job meeting the needs of that persona, but this persona has a dramatically lower aggregate customer satisfaction score. Hmm. You know, that obviously suggests that they have some needs that may not matter to the segment that's getting a great customer satisfaction score, but it's pulling down that particular segment. And then you yes. want to ask yourself, okay, well, how large and important is that segment? What is the cost to address the things that are pulling down their customer satisfaction? There are times when, you know, when you evaluate the value of each segment, you say, you know, there are some segments that, uh, you know, there are some people that walk into your shoe store and want a size 15 shoe and you're currently not carrying them. So should you carry them? Well, maybe, maybe not, you know, it depends what it costs, how much space it takes up. If Mm. that's only a one in a thousand person who wants a size 15 shoe, you may say, you know what, that person is dissatisfied and I'm okay with that. That's not a, a focus. That's not a segment that we want to go after. So, but in any case, whichever your target personas are, to be to be segmenting the data that way, so you understand where you may have opportunities to improve that experience for them, and then also your messaging. Mm. You know, if you're doing marketing, say, well, you know, if if I'm a shoe store and all of my ads are sort of very fashion oriented, look at these like amazing high heeled shoes that we sell but you discover that, you know, our most important customer is moms buying sneakers for their kids for school, that might suggest that your marketing needs to be more diverse because the same ad or the same email or what have you. Number one, you may want more variety. Number two, you may be able to actually target that marketing because that's another thing you want to do. It's Mm -hmm. one thing to say, well, we have six different types of customers, but then if you have, say, a CRM system, you have some way of looking at customer data It's great if you can say, well, actually, um, we can kind of figure out maybe based, for example, on what types of purchases they make, whether that's which products they buy or how much they spend or how frequently they purchase, or it could even be by surveying your customers. It depends what you need to know. But if you can figure out which customers are at least reasonably likely, you're probably not going to be 100% perfectly precise, to be in each segment, well, then you could start to say, hey, we want to send an email out about, you know, the Black Friday sale, but we're going to create five different versions of that email. Mm. One targeted more at our, you know, value budget buyer and one targeted more at our fashion buyer and one targeted more at our parent buying for their kids or what have you. And you're generally going to find if those if those messages are more tailored to that segment, you're probably going to get higher open rates. You're probably going to get higher click to rates and ultimately probably get more sales from those emails. So mm. anyway, there's many ways. Uh, and certainly you want to look at product the same way. You want to ask, well, does the app meet their needs? Does the... um 
website meet their needs and does the in-store experience meet their needs? Yes, that's a very good point. And, you know, I suppose that brings us on to another topic I wanted to ask you about, Howard, and that's around mapping customer journeys. You know, you just hinted at it in this multi-channel world that we live in, whether it's multi-channel or omni-channel or harmonized retail, however you want to describe it. The traditional customer journey map, linear, going along step by step, doesn't necessarily work nowadays, particularly when you've got multiple customer segments or avatars and all of these different channels and touch points. How do you do that in our modern retail world? Yeah, well, you know, a customer journey, and by the way, there are many different types of customer journeys. Yes. For example, there are current state customer journeys that come out of research where you say, what really happens when someone comes into our store? How long do they have to wait for help when they when they have a question? How long do they wait mm. to pay? How frequently do they not find the product they're looking for or the size they want is out of stock, et cetera, et cetera. So like what's not just the theoretical, what we want to be <laughs> happening, but what really happens when people come. A good uh, long so hard look come, in the mirror to work out what reality is rather than what your uh, ideal version of the world is. Right, it's critical. And so so there are many types of of customer journeys, but, you know, bear in mind that if you're creating some kind of a graphical representation of a customer journey, whether it's current or future, just like the avatars or the personas, they're a generalization. Of course, every journey has characteristics that are completely unique. And that's interesting, but it's hard to make that actionable, right? If Mm. you have a million customers and everyone has a slightly different experience, what are you going to do with all that data? And the answer is you're looking for trends, you're looking for patterns. And so a documented customer journey, for example, a current state journey should represent the typical paths that people take. You know, how do they learn about your, if it's, let's say it's a store. What, first of all, what triggers them to want to go to a store like yours? There's probably a variety of different triggers that cause someone to want to go to, let's stick with our same example, a shoe store. And then How do they find a shoe store? How do they pick a shoe store? How do they make a decision on where to go? How do they decide whether to go in person or online? When when they get there, what are their behaviors? What are they looking for? Do they immediately ask for help? Or are they like me, one of those people who's like, I don't need help. Go away. Go away, salesperson. Just let me look around. And then when I find a shoe, I'm like, where the hell's a salesperson? You know? (laughs) But, you know, and so and so we're looking for patterns. And we may find that there's not only one pattern, there's a few different predominant patterns. And so certainly when we look at the current state journey. That's usually what we want to do. We want to think, well, you know, yes, every journey is totally different and unique. This person walked in in the store and went to the left, and this person walked in and went to the right, and this person walked straight ahead, and this person went to the bathroom first. But what are the overall arching patterns that jump out? And then when we look to do current future state journey mapping, because usually the journey mapping process, at least the way that, that I do it, is you start by mapping where you are now, and then you say, okay, what would we want to change in this journey? Maybe it's a little, maybe it's a lot to make our business better, improve our customer experience, improve customer satisfaction, sales, et cetera, whatever the goals are. And so very often, if you have multiple different current journeys, which typically you would, then you're going to wind up having multiple future state journeys because Mm. they're going to recognize and acknowledge that you have some customers that prefer different patterns that have different needs. And so this one single journey, exactly the same, is not going to work for everybody. There may be aspects that are very similar for everybody, and there may be aspects that are quite different. So sometimes you can represent that by one journey map with different lines that kind of branch and then come back together. Or sometimes it's better to create multiple different journey maps. And usually when we create journey maps, we wind up plotting them also on big printers so that they're more like a banner 
Sometimes mm-hmm. they'll be three feet high, but 15 feet long. So you need a big wall to put them up on. And it's a story. And it says, well, here's a story. You start with a persona and you say, here's the persona. Here's why they came to the shoe store today. Here's how they decided to come to this shoe store. They got there, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And here's what ultimately occurred. And then you may have another one that says, okay, here's a different person. It's a different persona. They came for a different reason because they had different needs. They had a different journey and different experience. But again, what you're trying to do is say, what are the primary different experiences that we want to create so that we can then say, okay, well, What's it going to take to get from where we are to where we need to be? We need to add new features to the app. We need, you know, a different inventory system at the store so we can tell people whether the product's in stock when they go on the website, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, just as we come to the close of our conversation, Howard, we've obviously touched on a couple of the different aspects that fall into winning digital customers. But I suppose my final question is, why is this the antidote to irrelevance? to use your tagline. <laughs> well, the question is, what's the risk? Why, why would a company that's successful today become irrelevant? And the biggest risk today is a company that used to meet their customers' needs, continues to do the same thing. After all, it worked in the past, but customers' needs change because that's what happens over time. And that's been happening for decades. All of a sudden, you know, if you look at the transformation caused by the, by the smartphone, over the last decade or 15 years, our lives mm. have been transformed. The way in which we shop, bank, meet people, connect with our friends, learn. I mean, it's hard to think of any aspect of our lives which is not different because we have these devices. And so if your customers change and you stay the same, that means you're becoming less relevant to your customer. Yes. And if you become sufficiently creating a gap, a gulf between you and the customer, and it gets bigger every year. And by the way, COVID, caused an acceleration of those changes in our customer behavior. People who normally went to the store, you know, many people had already adopted e-commerce, but for people who hadn't, all of a sudden the store was no longer available to them. They had to finally learn how to shop online or finally learn to shop in a category. Someone might've said, well, I order books and consumer electronics online, but I didn't used to order my groceries online. Now I do. I didn't used to order my takeout online, my food, you know, food deliveries. Now I do. So we've had this further acceleration of the adoption of digital behaviors by by customers. And so the reason why this process of transformation is the antidote to irrelevance is because irrelevance is caused by a widening gulf between what your business offers and what your customer needs. A proper transformation process that starts by understanding how your customers change and then focuses on how to create a new journey that aligns with their needs is closing that gap so that you're meeting the needs of today's and you know, part of the title of the book is winning digital customers. So what is what do we mean digital customers? What I mean by that is you have customers today that are living a lifestyle with digital at the center. And the percentage mm. of customers that you could characterize that way is now become the vast majority. And so when the vast majority of your customers are living that digital lifestyle, it's existentially critical that you're meeting their needs. And so that essentially is why transformation today when properly executed is the antidote to relevance. That is so fascinating. And I think this has been an excellent conversation. I've loved every moment of it, Howard. Thank you okay. so much. How yeah, can likewise. people- Very interesting questions. How can people find out more? Well, those that are interested in learning more about my book, you can find it 
and Amazon and all the other places you'd normally look for a book. It's probably in your local bookshop. But uh, there's also a website for the book. It's at winningdigitalcustomers.com. So you can go there. You can actually download the first chapter for free if you just want to check that out. And it has links to all the places you can get it for your Nook or your Kindle or your Apple, Apple device or order the hardcover and all that. If you want to learn more about other stuff that I put out, I put out a lot of thought leadership content, videos and other things. I publish them heavily on LinkedIn. So that's the best place to find me on LinkedIn under my name, Howard Tierski. And I run a consulting firm that's called From the Digital Transformation Agency. And if you're interested in learning more about that, Digital Transformation Consulting, our URL is from.digital. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time, Howard, and for sharing all of the golden nuggets that we've had in our conversation. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Wow, wasn't that a great conversation? I do hope you enjoyed it quite as much as I did. Loads of great points in there. I'd love to hear your key takeaways, your golden nuggets, if you will. So I promised you some additional episodes to listen to if you enjoyed this one. Here are four to get started. First up, episode 83 and 84, which was a two-part episode with the incredible Steve Dennis. And that was a series of episodes called Becoming Remarkable in Adversity. A couple of great episodes there that will help you to avoid becoming irrelevant. Next up, episode 101 with James Bolly. And that was an episode called Why Have a Purpose and How to Find It. And I wanted to highlight this one to you because what Howard was saying about aligning your company to understand your customer avatar or persona felt like it aligned quite closely with what in that episode James was talking about in terms of using your purpose to drive your team forward. And then finally, episode 166 called Learning from the Service-Led Industry with Freddie Banks. And there are some great points in that episode that you could think about when you are designing a customer journey for your specific avatar. And in particular, how you could learn from a service-led industry to bring into perhaps a retail operating model. And that is a particularly fun and favourite episode of mine. But if you've not listened to it, then I will let you find out why. So do check that one out. So that's episode 83, 84, 101 and 166. But if you can't remember all of those, totally understandable, particularly if you don't have a pen handy, then head over to the show notes, which today you can find at obandco.uk slash 171. And whilst you are over there, remember, do sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing. It's my free email newsletter to keep your finger on the pulse of the ever-evolving world of retail. It features key retail transformation headlines, as well as insights and intel to help you understand and see the trends as they emerge. So sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing at obandco.uk slash 171. Thanks so much for listening and I will really look forward to joining you in another episode of the Retail Transformation Show very, very soon. Bye for now.